This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast. This week, it is just you and I chatting about what to expect when your waters break. Now, this is a question that I get all of the time, but also it's a topic where I often see women on the labour ward where I work, who will say to me, oh, I really wish someone had told me that this might happen or this may be recommended when my waters broke. So I really think it's something that we're just not quite filling the gap and getting the education out there to expectant mums that they need. So I'm really excited to delve into this little mini topic with you a little bit more on today's podcast chat. So first of all, one of the things that lots of us wonder is what actually are our waters? Because it's not often what we think. So your waters are actually called in the medical jargon or terminology, amniotic fluid. And your baby grows inside this kind of balloon of water, which is called the amniotic sac. So we have this amniotic sac inside is the amniotic fluid, also known as your waters, that your baby is sat inside. Now about halfway through your pregnancy, so from around 20-ish weeks, your amniotic fluid or your waters is actually made up of your baby's urine and your baby will swallow this fluid and excrete into this fluid as they continue to grow and that's a really normal mechanism and actually doing that is really important for babies because it allows them to ensure that they are practicing mechanisms that are for breathing and using muscles in their lungs and digestive system, which helps all of those really important structures and systems to develop for your baby. So that whole mechanism is actually really important. Now, the amount of amniotic fluid that women have does vary, but it peaks usually around 36 weeks of pregnancy where you'll have around 800 mils of fluid in your amniotic sacs or your waters. And if you think about the size of, say, a bottle of Coke or Fanta that's about 500 mils, it's kind of that and half of that again, which is quite a substantial amount. Now, it's one of those things that is routinely checked on your ultrasound scan. So you may or may not have had a conversation about the level of fluid on a scan, but it's one of the things that the person performing the scan is looking at. 
And there can be some concerns if there is too much or too little fluid. Too much fluid is called polyhydramnios and too little is called oligohydramnios. And if either of those are picked up, then it may be recommended that you have some further monitoring or care or investigations in case there's anything going on that's caused uh, either of those. Now, before your waters break during pregnancy, they have a vital role to play for baby. So as we've already said, it allows them to practice those really important systems and mechanisms inside the uterus. But it also acts as a bit of a protective cushioning, if you like, around baby. So that if there is any like knocks or sudden movements to your abdomen, they have this kind of shock absorber and protective cushioning around them, thanks to the presence of your waters. It also helps to keep them warm and to ensure that the temperature inside your tummy where they're growing is nice and constant, which is really important for them to grow nice and consistently and healthily during your pregnancy. As well as containing urine, the amniotic fluid also contains antibodies. And as we know, antibodies are powerful for protecting against infection. So your baby gets that protection from the waters. And the kind of liquid waterish nature of amniotic fluid allows your baby to move around inside and practice movements which support the development of all of their muscles and bones and also allow that cord, the umbilical cord, to function well. It stops it becoming kind of compressed or stuck so that the oxygen and nutrients can flow really nicely through the umbilical cord and to your baby. So it's quite got quite an impressive role for something that we've initially termed as our baby's urine. So good, good job to the, uh, to the amniotic fluid in a pregnancy. So what happens then when your waters break or the amniotic fluid starts to come out? So the act of your waters breaking is simply a break or a tear in that amniotic sac. So that sac that your baby's in that contains all that fluid. And when that happens, some of that amniotic fluid or your waters can then leak out through the cervix and vagina. And that's what you then notice externally. Now, for some women, it's actually really hard to tell if the waters have gone or not. And for others, there's a pop or a gush that you almost hear or feel, and then suddenly flooding of fluid everywhere. And it's really, really easy. Now, typically, the thing that determines what kind of what kind of type you have, if you like, as to whether it was easy to tell and it was, or it, or it was kind of a tiny little trickle, is where there is a break in the amniotic sac. So it's a little bit like if you've got a balloon and you squeeze the balloon in the middle, your fist that's squeezing is your baby's head. And you've got this pocket of waters behind baby's head called your hind waters and a pocket of fluid in front of your baby's head called your forewaters. Now, if there's a break or a tear in the hindwaters behind baby, your baby's head kind of acts as a plug. So the fluid has to kind of sneak past baby's head to sort of trickle down. So that's where you might see a, a small leak or a trickle. Whereas if the waters in front of baby's head goes, you have this kind of balloon that's burst and then baby's head drops down. So you often get this pop sensation and then this sudden gush of waters leaking. Now, often 
Uh, women are worried that once their waters have gone, their baby has nothing to swim around in anymore. But but thankfully, that's not the case. Your baby continues, your baby and your body kind of in harmony, continue to produce amniotic fluid. So it doesn't kind of all dry up and then that's it. It's gone. Now, when your waters do break, it typically, for most women, doesn't look like it sometimes does in the media where the waters break and then we have to all rush to the hospital because the baby's gonna follow, uh, follow behind really rapidly. Of course, that does happen for some women, but for the vast majority of women, there is a decent period of time between waters breaking and baby being born. Now, one of the things that's really important to think about when your waters break is what color the fluid is that's draining. So when your waters break, the, the color of the fluid that you see should be... <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Pregnacare from Vitabiotics. We all know how important it is to support our health when trying for a baby, during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Pregnacare vitamin and mineral supplements provide advanced nutritional support for every stage of pregnancy, before, during, and after. They include vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid as recommended by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare, expert nutritional care for pregnancy with you every step of the way. To find out more, visit www.pregnacare.com. Either clear or very lightly straw colored. It shouldn't be brown or green or bright red. And it also shouldn't be offensive smelling. Now it's a really good idea to put a pad on in your underwear when you think your waters have gone so that you can easily keep a close eye on the color of the fluid. Now, if the amniotic fluid is red, that can indicate some bleeding. And if there is thought to be some significant bleeding during your pregnancy or early stages of labor, then your maternity team may recommend keeping you in for additional monitoring and sometimes also offering to support you with something like an induction of labor to speed up the birth of your baby if there is concern. Now, the other concern is whether it's a green or brown color. Now, sometimes that can indicate infection. If there is an offensive smell and there's concern that maybe there's an infection inside your womb, then again, your team will have a conversation with you about whether there's a need to support you to birth your baby uh, sooner rather than later and what that might look, might look like. And then we have this brown waters, which can be that your baby has done a poo inside. And our baby's first poo is called meconium. And our meconium isn't like poo as we think of it as adults. It's actually a black, thick, sticky substance when it's directly from the bottom. And it, it actually consists of some of your amniotic fluid, some mucus, some skin cells, hair, bile, bile and gut cells, that's all kind of mixed in. And that's kind of what gives it this marmitey, greeny black kind of consistency. Now, having meconium stained waters is quite common and happens in around 15 to 20% 
of babies born at term, so at their due date. And it's actually more common for babies born after their due date, around 30 to 40% of those babies. And there can be so many different reasons why meconium may present. The reason why we're often less concerned if it happens when your baby is mature is the thought is that their bowels are just mature and therefore they have done a poo inside and then your waters have broken and it's been visible. It can also happen in babies who are coming bottom first. So we see um, really kind of thick, almost toothpaste like meconium, um, more commonly in babies that are breech or coming bum first. The other concern is whether it's your baby trying to signal that actually they're not so happy inside. And as part of the mechanism of them becoming distressed, that they release some meconium from kind of spasms in that area. And our concern is something called meconium aspiration syndrome. And this is when baby inhales some of the meconium stained fluid during labor and birth. Now, the reassuring thing to hear is that only around two to three percent of the 15 to 20 percent of babies that has meconium in their fluid will develop meconium aspiration syndrome. So it is really quite a rare thing to happen, but it is really serious if it does happen. And that's why for women where there is the presence of meconium, you may be offered some additional monitoring. And it may be recommended that you have an induction of labor when your waters go, if you're not in labor, to try and reduce the risk of your baby being exposed to the meconium for a prolonged period of time. Now, regardless of what color your waters may be when they break, it's really important if you suspect your waters have gone, that you call your midwife or your local maternity unit, and they'll invite you in for an assessment to confirm whether your waters have definitely gone or not, and to check that you and your baby are well and there's no signs of infection. And then typically, if all is well, your waters are a normal color, you are full term, you don't have group B strep infection. We know that the presence of group B strep infection uh, increases the risk of your baby developing an infection if your waters have gone for a prolonged period of time. So if you're known to have group B strep and your waters break and you're not in labor, again, the recommendation would be induction of labor to reduce the risk of infection to baby from that. But in the absence of group B strep and meconium and being full term, everything being straightforward, if you're not in labor when your waters go, I'm just taking a mini pause to share with you some useful information about Braxton Hicks, which many women experience in pregnancy and can confuse with labor contractions. Braxton Hicks usually feel like a painless or mildly uncomfortable tightening or hardening of your uterus. They often start at the top of your uterus and travel down and can last between 30 to 60 seconds. However, they might only happen once or twice a day or several times in an hour in later pregnancy, but they remain irregular and should disappear fairly quickly. For more information on how to spot the signs of labor, check out aptaclub.co.uk. Then it's generally recommended that you return back home 
to await labour to start. And that's termed expectant management. So just kind of waiting. The good thing is that although water's breaking prior to labour happens in around one out of 20 pregnancies, for around 60 to 80% of women, you will spontaneously go into labour within the next 24 hours. Now, between 24 to 48 hours, the chance of you then going into labour, if you haven't already in that first 24-hour period, does reduce a little. Um, and the concern about longer intervals after 24 hours is an increasing risk of infection to baby. If you imagine that amniotic sac is like a barrier, so any bugs or infection that may have traveled up the vaginal canal can't get into your baby because of this amniotic sac. But when there's a break in that barrier, there is an increased risk of ascending infection to baby. Now, this is where I always talk to the women that I support on my antenatal and hypnobirthing course about the value of knowing the numbers when we start talking about things like risk or chance. And that's because what we often hear is that the risk of infection doubles, and that is correct. But the relative risk is still quite low. So the risk of infection increases after 24 hours from 0.5% to 1%. Now with everything pregnancy and birth related, it's always really important that we try and think what those statistics look like dependent on our individual baby, our individual body and our individual circumstance. As I've already kind of alluded to, if there is the presence of other risk factors that may increase the risk of infection, then those statistics may not feel as relevant to you because your risk factor may be slightly higher. And some women will choose to wait longer than that 24 hours and your hospital, your midwives, your obstetrician will absolutely be there to support you to make those informed choices. There is never a one size fits all approach and birth is not black and white, but it's about you making an informed decision with the best available evidence and knowing signs and symptoms and things to look out for that may be of further concern and that may then require you to have a little bit more um, assistance with birthing your baby safely. Now, if your baby, if your waters go before 37 weeks, so in preterm pregnancy, then it's very much an individual discussion depending on your whole medical and pregnancy history and what's going on for you and your baby. Often, if everything is well, the aim is to keep you pregnant until full term, which is 37 weeks, and then you may be offered induction of labor, but it really is individual depending on what's going on for that mum and baby. So that is my whistle-stop tour into what to expect when your waters go and some of those twists and turns that crop up because what I'd love to stop seeing is mums that come into me on labour ward with their waters having broken and there is the presence of something like meconium but no one had told them about what that might mean and what that looks like and what the significance of that is. So I think that's where it's really valuable to have some of that information in pregnancy and that really helps to empower you to make informed choices about your birth options when the time comes, if you need to. 
I hope that was a helpful little chat today and that you feel better informed on what to expect when your waters go and have a little bit more of an understanding about what your waters actually are. Now, if you have enjoyed the conversation today and want to have a bit more of that, to really understand your body, your baby, your physiology, and be as best prepared for your birth and early postpartum journey as possible, then make sure you head to midwifepip.com and check out my range of online courses, my Your Pregnancy Journey course, which aims to support you from the point of positive pregnancy test right through to having your baby safely in your arms. Or if you are a third trimester listener, then head over to my antenatal and hypnobirthing course, where we have various online and uh, face-to-face on Zoom chats to make sure you really do have 360 degree comprehensive support at this very special time. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.